This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the OnLabs podcast. Our special guest today is Vile Aikes. Did I say that right? I did okay. Fantastic, yes. Nailing it. Where are you coming from? Where do you live? Uh, I'm in Seattle right now. Nice. Oh, I love Seattle. Oh, it's been so long. I got to get back there. Do you love Seattle? Did you, did you grow up in Seattle? No, I grew up in Finland. I've been living here for, for I don't know, 20-some years. Forever, like me and yeah, my Forever, aunt. yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, Vile, give everybody the, I call it the two-minute pitch on kind of what you're doing today. Oh, okay. Great, sure. Uh, I mean, professionally, I assume. So, yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so a uh, few friends and, and I started a company here about uh, four, five months ago called ChainGuard. Um, so I'm a founder of that company along with others. Um, work as a software engineer there. Uh, we are tackling um, software supply chain issues that uh, have been plaguing the industry for a while. Um, so my days are basically spent on uh, working on, on some open source projects, um, trying to go ahead and push those forward, help out where we can, as well as working on uh, products uh, that we haven't released yet, but uh, we are working on feverishly also that are um, uh, built on, on, on using many of the open source projects that me and uh, uh, my co-workers have either built or started or are actively maintaining so that's you, you said that you've this um you've been doing this for four years four months this company is new this company is very very new yes brand new i, I just want to ask a couple more questions with that you started this four months ago what's your what's your timetable to have some product release at this point like this is all really new stuff you're doing so uh, yeah, so uh, we don't really have a particular time yet. Uh, we are uh, working, it, it's more important for us to get it done right. Um, so we are working with, uh, with uh, some, some, some friends and customers, potential customers on trying to go ahead and make sure that what it is that we are building is, 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 is useful and helps out. So no, no timelines yet. Ah, beautiful. I love that. Actually, I love that answer, right? Everybody's so quick to put something out there, but you're burning territory if you do it too soon and it's, and it's not the right experience. So yep. I, I love that. All right. So this is a podcast about you uh, and your, kind of your journey from where you started and in this case, all the way up to chain guard. So I'm really kind of interested uh, how we get there. And if you haven't listened to any of the earlier shows, uh, one of my first favorite questions to ask, the, ask our guests is that kind of first memory they have of, of, of working on a computer and, and, and maybe using it to solve a, solve a problem. The first time I actually solved the problem with the computer, I think, was really when I was able to go ahead and play with the 6502. Um, 
on a robotics lab, that's probably the first time I actually solved a problem. Before then, I pretended that I needed a computer to my parents so that I could solve uh, problems with the computer um, and help with my schoolwork. So this is Vile, age 12 in Finland, convincing his parents. Um, and I suckered them into getting me a C64. And um, all, all I did with it was uh, build games um, and, uh, and play games. Uh, but no problems were solved. Very briefly, uh, at that point, I tried to become a programmer and uh, just just was not interested at the time. It was more fun playing games um, and doing all kinds of other things. Um, at the time, I had a lot of friends who were uh, hardcore programmers and doing demos. Uh, demo scene was, you know, making the, the, the Commodore 64 do some really insane things. Uh, assembly language, uh, and um, and I, I I had a friend who tried to go and teach me, and I was like, yeah, I don't I don't get it. It's it doesn't look fun, and I went back to playing games. Uh, but then when I came uh, to Seattle, I... wait 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 wait, slow down, slow down. I want to move that fast. <laughs> I want to get I want to get back to twelve years old. In fact, I, I'd like you to um, maybe describe a little bit how the how the school system works in in Finland. Like, what is it? How does school work from the time that you are then ready for university? Like in the U.S., we've got elementary, middle, high school. By the time you're 17, 18, you're applying to university. Is it similar in in Finland? No. Uh, so there is uh, – so the only school kind of requirements you have is you go basically ninth grades. So you go from one to ninth grade, and after that you are sort of kind of legally uh, – not obliged to go to school anymore. Um, most people after the ninth grade go to um, a secondary school. Um, so some of these might be like, I want to be, you know, maybe a, a, a plumber or a car mechanic or a baker or yeah, like I think you would call them vocational schools. So you actually, at the end of that school, you basically have real life skills and you can do something productive. Um, Let me interrupt you one one second. That ninth grade is like like 14. You're like kind of 14 when you're finished with 15, your, yeah. 14, it's, it's 15, 15. And now you yeah. choose to go to maybe into a trade or what's the other option if you're not going to go into a trade at 15? Uh, if you don't go into a trade, you can decide to go or if you don't want to go to school, you can always just stop it and say, screw it. Uh, I will. Uh, I will not do anything, right? Uh, but uh, you can go to something called I. Well, uh, Lukio. Uh, it's it's kind of like I guess high school here. So it's additional three years you do, and there again you do more studies, uh, and uh, but you don't get a vocation out of it. So that's typically the more traditional path from where you go to maybe a high uh, uh, university. University. Okay. Okay. So it actually is kind of similar because you're starting here in that ninth grade is 14, 15, another three years, you're 18. And then, okay. So, so you're, you're 12 at this time, right? You're like, almost, you're like three years away from having to make a decision in your life about, am I going to continue down my schooling path or am I going to move into a trade? Your friends are doing what you describe as amazing things on the Commodore you're not interested. You just want to play games. So 
So now I'm kind of curious, when do you start thinking about finishing ninth grade? Is it like at 12 they start trying to prep you for what you want to do next? Yeah, so they, well, uh, okay, so one through six is kind of the, uh, you know, the, I don't know, the, the elementary school. And then the grade seven through nine is the, whatever, the, the upper school. And um, somewhere around the seven, eighth and ninth grade, they talk about some of the options and you and do like a, a one week, uh, you probably do it, you do one week of uh, where you go into a job somewhere that you may or may not uh, be interested in, but you basically go, you don't go to school, you go to that job and there's somebody there who is showing you what that job entails. At 14, 14, 15 years old? Yeah. Yeah, I think it might even be 13 when you do it. I'm trying to think. It's it's so long, I can't remember. But yeah, you basically go in and you kind of do, uh, you know, you kind of learn the trade. At least, like, what what does it mean, right? Because many folks have opinions and thoughts, like, oh, well, architect does this. And then you see what they do day to day, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not what I signed up for. So it, it's pretty cool. I kind of wish it would be longer than a week, but uh, I found it extremely useful. So now I, now I need to age you a little bit. What year is it when you're uh, finishing ninth grade? Just so I have a timeline here. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is in the mid late late 80s. Okay, late 80s. So I graduated high school at 17 in 1987. So, you know, so in the mid 80s, you're okay, so you're a little older than I am, but it gives me a sense of kind of where we are with uh, the computing. That, that's the only reason I ask. I want to get a sense of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, what's going on now as you reach this ninth grade? Are you, what are you into? Are you playing sports? Obviously, you're, you're, you're fooling around with the yeah, so I'm playing soccer. Yeah, so I'm playing soccer, and um, yeah, I'm playing for the for the team of my town. Uh, you know, so I I, I think you, you you call it a traveling team in a sense that we were playing at the at the the national level against all the other teams in Finland, which. Uh, so you were pretty good. I mean, you're a pretty good soccer well, player. I was just going to get into it. Well, for the Finnish <laughs> level, I was pretty good. But uh, but for the worldwide uh, level at the time, uh, not not so great. Though I have some friends who play professionally from that team later. But um, but 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 I didn't. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm playing sports. Uh, so the one interesting bit also is that you can also when you go to the um, when you go to the the high school, I'm just going to keep calling it high school. The the basically the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Um, you then can uh, you there are some schools that specialize in different kinds of things. So, um, for example, I went to a school that uh, was specializing in sports and. Uh, so for example, I had a lot of, uh, friends, some of them were like, uh, uh, schoolmates who were like skiers, like cross country skiers. We had a bunch of soccer players. We had ski jumpers and all kinds of folks like that. And many of them, uh, because they had to go and travel, uh, for competitions and everything else, they, they were given certain freedoms and they were able to go ahead and, for example, exercise more than your typical PE class. So instead of just you know, I don't know, uh, playing hockey at P or whatever. In addition to that, we would be able to hit the weight rooms and everything else or go jogging or 
or you know just say that we are going to do that and then go hang out at a friend's house and play video games or whatever but you know there were some freedoms there but you had to apply for that right like was that sports school really in line for the people that were going to play nationally for the country or olympics and or could anybody decide to go there I, I, you have to have some street creds, I think, to go ahead and say, like, yeah, I actually do something. But I don't think I, it, it wasn't quite as onerous as one might expect. And that's the path you chose, right? You chose to you, I think I heard you say you chose to go into the sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My sister went to uh, a music high school. She's very uh, talented. Uh, with music, so she went there. So they they were able to go and dedicate more more. You know, they all have like a base level of um, of uh, of education you get, but in addition to it, you can go and then do uh, additional emphasis. So she might have music like I don't know, ten hours a week or something like that instead of just I don't know one or two. But I, I could see the music track in terms of like a career. But where is the sports track going towards a career? Is it to play professional sports? Yeah, it can be fewfold. So the other things that we did is we also uh, did um, uh, maybe maybe it's coaching related. So you might become a coach. You might be a physical therapist in a sense that uh, we learned a lot about um, you know bodies in general. How does body work? How do you recover? What are the muscles and things like that? So you could certainly go ahead and see a career out of there for becoming, you know, maybe, or, or pursuing career in sports medicine, for example. So was that, what was going on in your head when you chose, and I'm imagining your friends who you're, who are programming at 12, I mean, they're still your friends. I imagine they went down, went into different schools, right? But what were you thinking? I just wanted to play soccer at the time. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Um, of course, I'm going to be pro. You had that in your head because you were playing with, yeah, no, that is totally fair. Like I, my head was in the same kind of space. I wasn't thinking too much in the future. It was just more about what I wanted to do kind of right now, right? I'm getting that sense from you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a theme we'll come back to uh, as in I'm not sure I look like the, a, a guy with the plan. But at some point, three years are going to come up and you've got to, what's the next decision after that then? Is it? University? Is it char market? Is it back to a trade? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so it, it can be uh, sort of kind of all of the above. There's few, I, I don't really know exactly what the translations are from uh, English to Finnish, but there's some mix of colleges slash trade schools slash whatever's uh, where it's not just kind of the u university and college route. Uh, some folks might choose to go to vocational school and then from there go to uh, pursue higher uh, education at the university level. So, like, for example, you might become a, uh, um, a car mechanic and then you really get into it and then you go ahead and, and, and pursue, say, career in mechanical engineering. So, uh, I don't know if these examples are good, but sort of kind of like the... They are, and I and I love this education. I've heard more. Of, I've heard a lot of this in Europe, and I think it's, I think it's really cool. I don't know why we don't do more of that in the U.S. To be honest with you. So, is there any moment in that those three years, we'll call it high school, where you're getting into more technical stuff? Are you are you starting to have an interest there, or you're really your head is just 
It was fun to play games, and that's it. Right. So, okay. So, so now we are roughly, so I start my first year of the sports school and somewhere along the, the winter months. Uh, so when you turn uh, 16 in Finland, you can go ahead and get a, um, uh, a license to get uh, a small motorcycle. So these are like 125 cc's. Right. So when you're 15, you can get a moped, which I had. I, I was a very proud owner of a moped and, uh, and 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 I loved it. It was called Honda Monkey. It's a tiny little bike. Um, they're actually making a comeback right now. It was so popular. They stopped making them and now they are back. And uh, I've seen a few of them. Uh, there's, a, there's this little store I go to sometimes. Uh, to get some beer, and there's a dude there always who rides it, and and and. Uh, and you haven't bought one yet. I know you want to buy one, even if it's just to have it. <laughs> I would have bought it so bad, yes. But I, 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 I've talked myself out of it. I'm gonna talk you into it by the time we're done. Go on, go on. <laughs> okay, so uh, so when I turned 16, uh, I, I basically was working very hard on saving up money so I could buy myself the next bike up. And uh, my mom, uh, knowing me full well and understanding that I don't always make responsible choices, was really not comfortable with this because uh, chances of me doing something dumb with it and, you know, ending up dead, uh, the likelihood is non-zero. So um, she was really hard trying to talk me out of this. And one of the things that a few of my friends were doing at the time were they were applying for exchange student programs. And, um, and she, she basically, because that was, uh, I couldn't afford to go and do the exchange on the money that I had saved at the time. So she basically made a deal that, you know, if I save an amount of money, she'll kick in the rest and I could go to be an exchange student in America. Okay, wait, I'm going to pause you one second. I'm going to pause you one second. Hold on. What were you doing to earn money at this time? Did you, you had a job? Like... What, how were you, what money were you saving? Yeah, yeah, I was working as a cleaner. Uh, I would be cleaning uh, businesses, apartment buildings, not like people's actual apartments, but apartment buildings. So like all the common things like the elevators and mopping the staircases and floors and... Doing that after school. You, had, you got this job. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, great, great. Okay, cool, cool. So you're, you're making money cleaning. You don't have enough money. Your mom says, if you really want to do this, I'll meet you halfway or something. Go. Right. So I decide that, uh, yeah, I'll do the exchange thing. It sounds cool. Uh, it certainly would help me with my English skills, especially because, you know, again, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. So I'm going to be able to give interviews. Right. So it's going to be great. Um, and uh, so I decided to do it. And... Um, so the following summer, uh, so after one year of this, what we call high school, um, I basically am going to start my program. And this is a bit goofy too, because again, so going back to the, the, the this is late 80s. So this is 89, I guess, when I'm coming to States. Yeah. So, um, so a few of my friends, I think there's five or six of them that I knew. Um, so the town I grew up is is fairly small, maybe thirty thousand people at the time. So through various connections, you you knew a lot, most of the people at the same age, age group. Um, and uh, the folks that had 
also decided to do the exchange uh, program. They had already been exchanging letters. This was my point about being 89. So there was no like, it's not like you do a VC, like, oh, hey, by the way, you're going to live with us and here's where we are and yada, yada, yada. You're writing letters, right? So all my friends are doing this uh, and I don't have a host family yet. Uh, so I'm like, okay, TikTok, clocks are ticking. You know, I'm about to go somewhere soon and I don't know anything about it. And then they finally said, okay, well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to Seattle, and uh, then we'll sort it out from there. We'll figure out from there where you go. Seattle may or may not be the final destination. And again, so this is now before the interwebs and all that. So I'm like, Seattle? Where the hell is Seattle? So I go, I go look at the encyclopedia, and I look at the maps, and I'm like, Seattle? I'm like... Great. I live in the Arctic Circle, <laughs> and I'm expecting that I'm going to go somewhere, you know, sort of kind of cool. And everything you want to go to Miami. You want to be in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so one of my friends is going to L.A. and, uh, and uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, and I look at that map, and my first reaction, I still remember it. I was like, damn it. It's right on the Canadian border. I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, but then I started, you know, kind of started looking closer and I was like, okay, well, it really is only, you know, at the level where Paris is. So it's, it yeah, it's still can't be all out. that bad. Uh, it can't be all that bad. So anyway, so there I am and uh, I'm like, okay. Cool, I, I'm kind of curious. I, I don't want to keep interrupting you here. Yeah, yeah, please, I, do, I get please these... do. I yammer a lot. So I just thought blah, 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 blah. So please yeah. interrupt. The story's great. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if your mom's even more nervous now that you don't have a destination yet and you're about to leave, right? You're 16. I imagine your mom is somewhat panicking a little bit because nothing's solidified. No. Does she even know? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She totally knows. And, and, and she very much, you know, I got to get this sort of kind of like it'll sort itself out from somewhere. Not going to name any names, mom, but, you know, it's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> so she's relaxed enough to say oh yeah don't yeah. worry yeah, yeah. it will all work it's out fine. okay it's it's fine right. so anyway so i hop on the plane in, C uh, in helsinki and i the only thing i know is you know somebody's gonna pick you up at the other end uh and then 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 we'll kind of sort it out at, at you're not nobody's traveling with you they just threw you on a plane at 16 and said look for somebody's look for an, your name will be somebody will be holding your name yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully you gotta they love the spell 80s. it right. You gotta love the late eighties, dude. Like, we, we, like none of this flies anymore. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> no cell phone, right? No yep. cell phone. Uh, this is great. Go on. How much money you got in your pocket? You're sixteen. How much money did they give you? Did they convert it already to U.S. dollars before you, before you went? Yes, yes, yeah, we, we, we did the whole formal bank thing where you actually go to the bank and talk to a person and then they go and give you, I don't know, I, it must not be more than like, say, a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah, at least you had a couple hundred bucks on you. Okay, sweet, sweet, sweet. So you get on the plane, you, I mean, you got to change planes probably. You can't fly all the way to Seattle in 89, right? Actually, no, at the time. No, no, no. At that time, uh, from Helsinki, there was a direct flight to Seattle. Finnair was flying. Ten hours. It was beautiful flight. And fun fact, they are bringing it back. They stopped it for, I don't know, 15 years or so. But now it's coming back again this summer. Nice. All right. So you fly to Seattle. You land on the ground. You're cool. doesn't matter. You get off the plane. What happens? 
so I found, so I gathered my luggage that actually made it. That was good. Uh, my one suitcase. Uh, and then uh, I started looking around for folks. And sure enough, there is, there's this group of people that um, are holding my name in a little billboard, uh, the, the, the little cardboard cutout. Um, and it's spelled right, close enough. Um, so, uh, so I walk over to them, introduce myself, and they're like, oh, hey, blah, blah, blah. And off we go. And it is this... Um, was this a family? Was this a family that met you? Like the family you're going to stay with? Uh, well, no. So, so, so th this was a couple, a little uh, older couple, um, who have had exchange students in the past. Uh, so they were familiar uh, with this organization, but they had decided that this year they were not going to do it because they had all kinds of different plans and yada, yada, yada. So they're like, no, we're not going to do it, but you can stay with us for a couple of days until we sort things out. So, uh, so off we go to their house. Um, and the fun, it, it's probably like three miles from where I live right now. So I haven't gotten very far, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, so we go there, and uh, then I meet their uh, their daughter's family, and they have uh, three boys, uh, and they are, you know, so I'm 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 16 at the time, so they're probably like uh, younger, guess, older, no, they younger, 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 so okay. they're probably like 12 and 10 and eight or something like that. So they, so we hang out with them for a few days. Uh, I, I hang out with this couple for probably about a week or so, and then the, the 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 daughter's family comes in, and I'm hanging out with the boys, and we are getting along quite well. And uh, so the pair, uh, so the daughter's family decides that you know what, they will take me in. So I stayed with them for 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 that year. A whole year. What do you do? So are you going to school? You're learning English. Are you working? Just like real quick, like what what are you doing over that year? Uh, well, okay, so yes, I was going to school. I went to uh, uh, Seattle Lutheran High School, uh, which uh, was fairly easy uh, on, on, on most parts, with the exception of like Washington State history, which uh, I had never studied before. So that was something I had to study. And then, of course, uh, English was uh, the, the main reason for it. Although not that I learned much English at school, it was more like when you converse with folks and, and, and so forth. Um, uh, we, uh, in Finland, you learn English, uh, well, most people learn English starting in third grade. You have an option. You have to choose, when you're a third grader, you have to choose a foreign language. Most people choose English, but uh, you can also choose something like Swedish or German or France or Russian or whatever. <laughs> And then, then you have to choose a second language, second foreign language, when you enter the seventh grade. So I had been uh, learning English at school since the third grade, uh, also supplementing it with playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends who were all, all these books were in English. So if we wanted to play the game, we had to understand how it works again. Uh, no interweb, so you have this massive, uh, not encyclopedic dictionary. Uh, so that we could actually go ahead and uh, understand what it is that we are supposed to be doing, as well as death metal like Metallica and yada yada yada. So that that that's where my uh, English at the time was. So basically, you go in Seattle and you're screaming at everybody when you talk because of all. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that, that, that's right. Exactly. 
just to, to speed things up a little bit, what that year you spend at 16 in the U.S., right? Like, what is the what is the one kind of memory you have of that? Like, is it positive? Is it negative? What what what, what was the what was the takeaway of that year you spent at 16? Was it worth your time? It wasn't. Like, I just kind of curious. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very fantastic. Uh, uh, so I met a lot of friends who uh, who I'm uh, still good friends with. I played soccer that whole year for the team as well as traveling team. Um, you were like a superstar in the soccer field, right? Nobody. I was actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was actually pretty good. yeah. <laughs> so no, it was very positive. Uh, learned a ton. Uh, uh, you know. Um, Got a chance to drive a car, which was crazy because in Finland you have to be 18 to drive it, so it kind of worked out. So I kind of got, you know, I didn't get the bike, but I got to drive a car. So I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. So are you are you sad now when you got to kind of go back home? Is like, so what happens now when you get back home? You're 17. You did this amazing year. You're still in school there, right? Yeah. So uh, so while I was. Uh, Going to that high school in um, the Seattle Lutheran here in Seattle, they had some. Uh, there's folks there are now getting ready to enter maybe colleges or universities or anything else. So uh, uh, I got dragged. Uh, I got dragged into by a friend, or maybe it was everybody from school went. I can't remember the deeds, but uh, South Seattle Community College came in and they talked about some of the technical jobs they had. And one of them was robotics. And the more I looked into it, I was like, that's really cool because who doesn't want to build uh, crazy robots? It's like this guy, this guy wants to. So, uh, so I sort of kind of started thinking that perhaps what I will do is go back to Finland and just say screw school there and come over here. Come back. Yeah, come back and go to robotics and, uh, and start looking at that. But at the local college. Yeah. But you're only 16, or you're 17. Okay, okay, go on. So you're 17, right? Yeah. So so I go back and talk to my parents about this plan, and it, it, it turns out that it was not a slam dunk. It was like, <laughs> that's a stupid idea, you know, blah, blah, blah. You gotta, you gotta, you know, finish the school. And I was like, well, I'm going to finish that other school and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so now I, uh, I have upgraded my uh, job status and I, I work as uh, a, a DJ at the, at the local radio station. Um, How did you get that job? Like, this, dude, you have no experience being a DJ. Right? Well, you just walk in and you say, I want to, I want to play music. It, it was a friend of a friend, um, and they were like, yeah, sure, you can come in over here. Um, and uh, it was good. Um, but yeah, so I made some money there, paid a little bit better than the, um, than the cleaning. But, you're, but you decided to finish school, right? So you can't come back to the U.S., so you finish school and you get this job DJing on the local radio? Well, no. So what I what I do is I decide that I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit. So I start applying for the uh, for the visa. So it's like a, a student visa because I couldn't really stay. If I could have stayed, I probably would have just said YOLO and stayed here. But I couldn't because of the visa. So I had to go back because that was only good for one year. So I go back and I apply for this other visa. And uh, and then I start working on this um uh, the, uh, 
get enough money to go and buy the plane ticket. And I also uh, talked to the uh, the host parents to say, hey, you know, uh, like, would it be possible if I go and stay with you if I come back uh, until I kind of sort my stuff out? And they're like, yeah, sure, totally, no worries. But you quit school in Finland. I didn't. I went to school, but I only attended basically math, uh, basically hard sciences. So I was a bit slacker that, that, that year in the sense that I, I only worked on math, physics, and chemistry. Um, things like uh, religion and or Finnish language or something like that, they kind of uh, took a backseat. So I might spend doing some other things during those times. You were, able to, you were allowed to do that? You didn't have to take those other classes? Well, not. I mean, it, it, only, it, it only would have worked for so long. Uh, <laughs> I had a limited horizon uh, because I was turning 18 in that November. So my plan was... Uh, okay. <laughs> I basically had this number because my, uh, one of my friends, uh, her uh, older sister worked for Finnair and... She was able to go ahead and get me basically a one-way ticket to Seattle at this fixed price. So I, I basically had this number in mind that was very reasonable. And so I basically was like, well, I'm going to save this much money plus X on top of that. And as soon as that happens, uh, or I'm out of here. team, yeah, I'm out of here. But you still need the visa. So you apply for the visa. Yeah. And, and at that point, it was fairly easier to get it. Um, uh, so that kind of checked out. So I was able to go ahead and get the student visa. Okay, I wanna, I wanna picture this situation now. You have the visa, you have the money, you have the plane ticket. You now go to your parents and say, adios, right? Like, how does that go down? That's one way that you could do it. <laughs> That's not exactly what happened. Um, so at the time I was having a little troubles with my uh, dad so we we're having some some troubles there um and so i decided that i'm gonna go and live with one of my friends for a bit so i moved in there for uh probably about a month before i turned 18 and uh, and uh and stayed there and then uh when i turned 18 i just packed my uh, little duffel bag headed to the airport and then uh then i called my mom from seattle couple of days after I had gotten there saying, hey, by the way, I'm here. What did your mom say? Well, she's not too thrilled, but she's like, well. She seems to be more in line with your personality of, well, you're 18, son, so it is what it is. Yes. Yeah. I'm not even going to ask you, your, your father, does he, he must be really, now must be, oh, I'm not even going to go there. So you're, you're in Seattle. You're in Seattle now. The, the family takes you back in. Yep. And your plan now is to apply to that. Are you qualified to? I guess you're 18, right? So, and it's a, it's a local community college for the robotics? Yeah, it's local community college. Uh, so I basically have to do, oh, yeah. So they were like, well, you need to do high school because I haven't finished high school. I only, when I was an exchange student, uh, they put me in junior class. So I guess that's 11, 11th grade. So they said, so you got to go to high school for one more year or, or you can take this test. Um, yeah, the, the, the um, high school equivalency exam, right? Yes, that one. And I was like, well, heck yeah, give me that test. I mean, what I've seen in high school, this should be a, a cakewalk. So, uh, and then I had to take uh, TOEFL 
test of English as a foreign language or something like that. No, that one I don't know. Yeah, so basically, you can't. If, if English is not your primary language, then you have to take this test to make sure that you actually can go ahead and operate in the school environment. So fine. So I take those tests and I get in, and uh, then I. Um, how are you paying for How are you paying for college at this point? Ah, great question. Yes. So I took a student loan from Finland. <laughs> what? They let you take a student loan for a U.S. based college? Uh, yeah. Although I'm not no. sure. I put down no. No. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So you got some money from your government to help pay for tuition, at least for the first year. Yeah, uh, so I got that, and then uh, it turns out that uh, they also had like scholarships, and that got easier as you go ahead and have a track record of like doing well in school. So then you can go ahead and get like these scholarships and 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 help with the funding and everything else. It was. It, and 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 the re it was also worse at the time because of the residency requirements. So you, if you're not a resident, you go to like out of state school somewhere, then it costs more. Um, so so it was a bit 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 more spendy that I think uh, I would have liked to, but um, you know it worked out. You couldn't use the host family's address, saying that that's where you lived. Yeah, but I haven't been there for a year consecutively. Mm. So yeah, there's, there's, there's loopholes there, but you know, loopholes go both ways. All right, so I'm gonna push the story up a little bit. So, so you get into the university, I imagine that you got to study there, uh, among all the liberal arts that you have to take that I know how much you love. Uh, did, you, did you get to do the robotics there? And at the same time, I imagine you're also working, you had to get a job to also. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had some, <laughs> it, it was a little bit tricky because with the student visa, you couldn't really technically work. So, so some of the work was, you know, a uh, uh, little bit sketch, but like only sketch in a sense that... Off the books, cash. I get it. It's all good. I mean, you already took a loan from Finland. What's a little cash under the table at this point? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what? You do what you have to do, right? I, that's what, I love this story. You do what you have to do here. So... So did you end up graduating? So four years, right? Did you graduate yeah, two with years. a degree? Uh, so it's only two, two years, years oh, uh, because so it's, okay. uh, it's community college. So yeah, so uh, yeah, so I basically go ahead and, and work on that. Uh, uh, I was doing quite well. I also got married at the time to, a, to an American girl. So then I was able to, um, to go ahead and make things easier because I got a green card. So in the two years of university, you got married? You got you got that associate's degree. Yep. So so what's the plan now after you get the associate's degree? You you finish the two years. Like what's the plan now? Ah uh, okay so yeah so okay so one more tidbit there. Uh, while I was work when I when I was taking the robotics classes, I got a job working for a barcode scanning company as a electronics technician, whatever, which was an amazing job. Uh, for many, many reasons, uh, but I don't want to get into them right now because it sounds like we have uh, we have to speed up. Anywho, uh, but the other thing uh, also was I started to realize that I really, really enjoy electronics and not only just the robotics because robotics also has a lot of mechanical bits and everything else that are fairly important to go ahead and work on the robotics, but I was more focused on the... Um, 
the hardware the, side of things? Hardware, hardware stuff in particular. Um, and what I wanted to do was, and, and remember when I said I liked hard sciences earlier, um, so I was really going to go to the UW, University of Washington, to be a double E electrical engineer and focusing on radars. So because it basically marries the physical world with, with basically technology, right? So uh, software it can be super wonky because it's very abstract, right? You blink some, you know, whatever, you do a computation and whatever else, and it's, it's very abstract. Whereas the, the radars uh, were super fascinating to me because it kind of married up all the things that I was super interested in, math, uh, physics, as well as some of the signal processing stuff. Where did you learn about radar in general? At that job? Or was physics. it extra in the physics? Okay, in your physics line. Yeah, in, in, in the physics stuff, and then just basically reading books about it because it seemed intriguing. I get this sense that that, that school was easy for you. In a, in a, I mean, I'm not saying you didn't put time and effort into it, but school doesn't seem to be a struggle. It isn't a struggle, but I kind of make it myself a struggle because I kind of I, I kind of got sucked into like all these rabbit holes where I, I need to understand more about this one. So a lot of time was spent, but it was very good time. So did you get into the University of Washington to to allow the study of this stuff? Right. So I get into UW, and the first two years there, I had to do a whole bunch of different prereqs, um, and. At this point, I, I am uh, one of my friends that I, uh, actually was an exchange student in my high school that I got to be friends with uh, from Peru named Luis. So both of us were super interested in double E. Um, so we were going to go ahead and do that. We used to carpool all the time. And uh, one day we are driving to or from school. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, he was making a statement that uh, he can't believe that the UW has this one program that is so hard to get into that nobody can get into it. Okay, well, you know where this is going, right? Yeah, you're like, I can get into it. So I'm like, yeah, okay, hope my deal, <laughs> right? So, so that's the CSC program at the time. It was, it was called Computer Science and Engineering. So they had a computer science program, but then they also had computer science and engineering, which was intriguing because it also had some double E classes. So it had hardware and software. So I apply into this thing and uh, I get into it. And back then again, uh, you know, no internets, none of this. Are we talking like about 1992? I'm assuming we're talking about 92, 92, 93, 93. Yeah. Okay. So they sent this package home. I remember it was a yellow big booklet and it basically gives you all the list of, you know, the classes that you have to take and everything else. And I remember looking at that and the only thing that I was, even sort of kind of semi-interested was um, operating systems and everything else. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. But I was like, well, so I struggled with myself mightily because I was like, well, I don't know. Like, why would I switch my, I got in this thing. I'm really interested in operating systems because they seem really hard and it seems like I should probably know what they do. Right. So, so I decided to go ahead and switch my major uh, to be a CSE. What did your friend say when you said, hey, look, I got in? He said, great job. Luis is awesome. He was like, crazy. <laughs> but He's like, only you, Vile. Only you. Only you, Vile. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, I basically get in and then I take all the classes and there was a lot of great stuff there. It, it, it was actually a, a very 
a good choice in the end because there was a lot of signal processing and there was a lot of double E stuff and there was a lot of networking stuff and there was, so it was it turned out to be fantastic. It was a great great uh, random walk point in time where it was like little things, uh, which is what I tell my kids all the time because I have some kids who are right now going to UW and they worry a lot about some things and I try to tell them don't worry so much things will happen in life you can't control it all you can't have a five year plan. You finished that degree, I assume, maybe four four years later, three years later? Uh, yeah, so, okay, so uh, remember when I said that I had one class that I was excited, which was the operating system. So I go into this operating system class, finally, after a couple of years of taking all these other classes out of the way to get the operating system class, because it's like a 400 level class. So I started the class and it's amazing. And, uh, and I, I spent a lot of time asking questions uh, from the professor um, uh, named Brian Brashad, uh, who is, we started to hit it off. He's really enjoying the kinds of things that I'm asking and the reasons why I'm asking them and yada, yada, yada. So he says, you know, you should uh, come over and work with us on this research project. And I'm like, sounds great. So, uh, so I start uh, participating in that. It was called Spin. It was an operating system uh, that uh, they were building on on, on alphas. Uh, anyways, um, and uh, it was super exciting. Met some really interesting people. Um, and then there was another project that kind of spun out of that as well, called uh, Edge, uh, which was basically binary rewriting stuff. So I got involved in that as well. And based off of that research, we spun off a company, a, a startup. Uh, so uh, Brian, uh, Brian Prashad, uh, myself, a few other folks uh, started that. Uh, and so I was kind of going to school at the same time and, and, and finishing, uh, sorry, we were doing the startup and kind of finishing the school at the same time. That's a lot of time. I mean, you're, you're, you're busy. I mean, there's, there's almost no time for anything else at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 busy times for sure, but good times. And what is this now? Like ninety six? Maybe you're gonna you graduate or you did? Yeah, ninety six, ninety six, ninety seven is is basically when I finally finished the school. But I think we started the company end of ninety six. I want to say. Okay, and then you get to work on that full time. Is there was there funding for this project? Was it coming from the university? Yeah, there was funding. Yeah, there was funding. It paid a little bit of money. Um, it paid, I mean, it paid a lot more than I was making uh, at the time because I was working as a student in the networking world. Where, where are you living at this time? I mean, you're married, right? You're not living at the host family. I mean, you must have your own place. And No, yeah, we, 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 we had this uh, basement studio, some lady's house for a while, and then we finally upgraded into a one-bedroom apartment. What, just just small sidetrack, what is your wife doing? At, at what, what, what is she doing at the time? She she worked as a accountant doing like uh, payables, receivables, things like that. All right. So you you finish. You finally get this degree. You've got this startup. It's around ninety seven. What what is what happens there? Is this thing like successful? Where like life is good? Like, talk a little bit about that. So yeah, so it was uh, semi-successful in the sense that uh, we got a, quite a few customers. Uh, we grew up to be about maybe, I want to say somewhere between maybe 100 and 150 people at times. Whoa, 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 that's a lot of, what was the problem you were solving again with this company? That's a lot of people, 150. Uh, there was a few pivots there. 
uh, along the way. But initially, it was basically meant to be... So this is all based on being able to go ahead and take any x86 uh, executable. So, for example, a video game, say Monster Truck Madness. That was the one we tested all the time. Or, you know, your, your business software, whatever else. The idea was that we can take any code, we can go and instrument it, add any kind of, uh, you know, measurements or any kind of tooling in there to understand how to make it better. And uh, this was semi-interesting in a sense that uh, while most people uh, are uh, building feverishly software, uh, nobody is adding any kind of instrumentation into it. If it works, great. It doesn't really, nobody really cares sort of kind of how fast it goes. It's just like, like your email, for example, like how efficient is it? Uh, does it work and 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 so forth so um so we were basically building these products that would allow you to understand uh behavior of software um and it turns out that a lot of people say they care about performance and they care about it up until the point when they have to go ahead and write a check and at that point they're kind of like i just remembered that i left my faucet on i'll be right back <laughs> Still waiting for them to come back. I hope they're okay. Um, so we pivoted to the uh, securing software. There was a couple of ways that we could do this. So now we are getting the late 99 uh, time frame or so. So the internet is becoming a big thing. Um, and uh, given uh, some of the stuff that I had done at the UW uh, uh, in the networking world, uh, it was kind of like, it was clear at the time that internet is amazing. Uh, and most people were mocking me at the time saying like, yeah, what are you going to do with this internet? It's like, no, it's going to be great. It's like, yeah, what, can I order a pizza? And it's like, well, no, but maybe someday. Well, here we are. Um, anyway, so it, it wasn't a passing fad. So, uh, but at the time also there was a lot of content that was coming off the internet and everything else. And uh, it was extremely hard to go ahead and understand who is doing what with these, uh, at the time they were called these ActiveX components and because they were ActiveX, it was all, uh, again, x86 executable code, but there was no understanding of what is happening anywhere. So what we would do is uh, we partnered with this company, I think it was called Checkpoint. I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But if it's Checkpoint, where in their firewalls, we could basically, as, as, as bits are coming in, um, you could go ahead and rewrite them to go ahead and, for example, remove access to files and uh, not allow certain uh, uh, things to be running. We also had some stuff that ran on the desktop. So if you come into work, you could basically install these agents and you could secure them so that, uh, you know, for a certain class of applications, you could just disallow all kinds of, um, all kinds of, uh, uh, access to networks, file systems, sound cards, and... God, I mean, this is like pretty low-level, sophisticated software. And really important software, too, when you think about what's happening, right, with viruses and everything else at that point. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, some of, the, some of that uh, stuff came later to be... I, I can't forget, but... Uh, sorry, I can't forget. I, I can't remember. Is but some of the basis for the work that we were doing there later on surfaced uh, over at Google with uh, with the thing called Knackle. Uh So Brad Chen, who was one of the researchers on the original project, and then later on worked with the startup. You know, some of these technologies then bubbled into various different places, but um, but th 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 that's down the line. So how long are you with this company? How long does it? I was there until about 2000 and 
I want to say one, 2001, 2002. And I was just getting burned out because I was spending so much time traveling. Yeah, it was after 2001, yeah, because one of the customer visits was uh, when the sep uh, September 11th happened. I was in Dallas. Um, uh, I had to end up driving there from there to Seattle. So that's why I remember it uh, even more vividly than, than uh, or, the, or the days following are, are, are also <laughs> interesting. But anyways, um, yeah, and at that point, I was just like, I'm just burned out. Like, I can't do this anymore. And, and uh, you know, there's, the, the company's big. It doesn't need one person, everything else. Um, so I decided that I'm going to go back to UW, and I'm going to go and be a network engineer, software engineer there. So basically building software uh, uh, network management tools uh, for university. And University of Washington is a bit funny in a sense that they actually run uh, networks for pretty much all of uh, Washington State uh, schools and hospitals and things like that. So it's not just like a, a, a tiny university network. And because it's a big research university, uh, they were also involved in something called Internet 2, uh, which allowed us to play with some uh, uh, bleeding edge gear. Um, I, I, are you familiar with Internet 2? No, I don't know if I've even heard that term before. Uh, I'll give you a super quick TLDR. But the idea was that the internet was originally, you know, built as a DARPA uh, project to go ahead and understand and be able to do experiments and everything else like that. Fast forward, everybody's using internet. You can't do random experiments anymore where you're like, okay, well, I wonder what happens if somebody does this kind of an attack on this one. So uh, they basically built this thing called Internet 2, which allowed researchers to go ahead and test like different routing protocols, test different kinds of failure behaviors and, and super high, high, high speed network and everything else. So uh, there was a bunch of interesting stuff that was happening there. So we were kind of involved in, 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 in writing some management software, doing testing and experiments and things like that. So that, that was, again, super exciting and and interesting. So anyway, so I was I was working there um, because I kind of wanted a, a, a chiller gig, and I don't think there's you know like university gig is 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 pretty chill. I was going to ask you that, but I forgot you said you were really burned out. So the idea of going into another startup or a company was was off the table, and you had relationships there already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I. Yeah, so I, I go back there and uh, and it's all good and, and I'm having a great time. And then, so that lasts about a year or so when um, when uh, one of the friends that I had made at the previous startup, uh, uh, who I'm still friends, actually went to a hockey game with him last night here in Seattle. So uh, anyway, so so I, I, I had this idea about a startup now, right? So I'm burned out, I get this chill gig and now I'm realizing that, you know what, like this is... Like, I'm not being challenged at all, right? Like, like, what's the fun in this? So I have to... No, because up to this point, your story is always about you challenging yourself pretty hard. Like, not easy stuff. Like, oh, there's another challenge? I can do it. I, like, I'm hearing this throughout your story, right? So you kind of took a year off while you still made some money. I'm sure you were kind of bored with the networking side of things. You wake up, and now you realize, no, no, I need another challenge. Yeah, so I had this uh, this this thought, uh, and so I roped AJ, my friend AJ, into it, and I, I told him I was like, I have this idea, and he was like, Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, uh, so he is working uh, 
at the time, Amazon, because he was the startup. He left a little before I did uh, the, the company before that. It was called Appliant. It had very few names, but uh, last one, I think it was called Appliant. Um, and uh, so I proposed this to him, and, and he's super pumped about it. So we basically start building this stuff. And uh, the nice thing about the UW is that you can moonlight all you want. You just got to tell somebody. So, I, so we basically start doing this startup on the nights and weekends and run that for a while. And uh, meanwhile, uh, many of the folks uh, like Brad Chen, who I just uh, mentioned uh, that did the knackle stuff over at Google, uh, he had gone over to Google. I had a few other friends who had gone to Google and they were like, dude, you got to come over here. It is so much fun here. But unfortunately, now I have this gig that I started with AJ, and I kind of have to see it through. Um, there was also a couple of other tiny little startups that we did with other friends, but they were just like more like side projects. They were not like my ideas, but this one I had to kind of see through. So, so AJ and I worked on it for a while, uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, Eventually, we sell that for a little bit of money. Uh, basically, it was a technology sale. It was kind of the, the pivot point of sort of kind of like, okay, well, we could have secured funding, but at the time, it was like, uh, let's just sell it, get a chunk of money. It's a sure thing. Um, and we did that. I'm assuming a, a couple of things here. I'm assuming this is around 2004. What was the problem that you were solving? This, yeah, so we sold the company in 2006. Um, it, was, it was basically location-based services. So uh, the idea was that uh, at the time everybody had, uh, it, was basically a, a, it was basically a way for you to go ahead and find uh, interesting bits around you, right? This, we take this for granted right now, today, right? But... Yeah, smartphones were just really coming out around like 2004, 2006. Yeah, so, but, but, but they were very limited. So there was various different ways. And, and, uh, but one thing, yeah, so we had several different ways of being able to find the location for you. So you could go ahead and do things like text us a little bit of the address and we could tell you where, yeah. So we, like, we covered all the cases. So you could do like SMS. Uh, we also used Bluetooth. So we basically had these Bluetooth devices that were kind of cool because like one thing we're like, it'd be kind of cool if you could go ahead and go into like a bar or restaurant. And if they basically have this Bluetooth uh, uh, device there, because now most folks had Bluetooth, they could basically be, we, we could basically tell that there are in devices there. We don't know whose devices they are and everything else. But, you know, you could, and, and, and I think Apple did, I, I think Apple now uses something like Apple Beacons or something like that to do precisely that. Um, so we did all that. And then, um, so we had, we, we had SMS and, you know, MMS and then, yeah, Google Maps and, and those kinds of things weren't quite the thing yet. Uh, but uh, we had some commercial interest for folks like being able to do really nice hospitality things. So if you always come into like, uh, uh, I don't know, car dealership or service or anything else, if you did some registration, it's like they would know who you are when you walk in and they would have all the stuff ready for you and, and everything else like that. Yeah, it was a, a great idea ahead of its time in the sense of not all the infrastructure was just in place yet. But I mean, brilliant forward thinking. 
it seemed like a good idea at the time, and I, th I think it still is. Like, not all those bits have sort of kind of been solved quite yet, but yeah, I, you know, it's getting getting closer. So you sell this, you sell this off. It's now two thousand and six. Like, what's next, man? Are you gonna take you gonna take a little time off now? Are you gonna chill again with a little cash in your pocket, or? That's when I decided that I I will uh, go uh, uh, apply to Google. So I go to Google. Um, and, uh, and at the time, uh, we were actually thinking about moving to Europe to be closer because so by this point, I've been in the States for, you know, a while. Um, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, let's move to Europe for a while, uh, so we can be closer to my, my family. Um, and by, by this point, we basically have, uh, three kids. So, uh, so I have three kids at the time. And we're like, okay, we'll move over there. Um, and I apply for Google and uh, I get in and uh, we are supposed to move to Zurich. I was going to say, sir, I, one of the few offices I know about in Europe is in, is in Zurich. So, Yeah, it was either that or Oslo. At the time, they also had an Oslo office. Uh, uh, my wife at the time was like, we're not going there. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, like we, we also entertained England, but uh, Zurich is the one sort of kind of we're going to do it. Well, okay, so I basically go like, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's move to Zurich. And then, um, then we find out that uh, uh, my wife is pregnant for the fourth time. And uh, she basically has this thing that uh, during pregnancy, you know, it, it can be uh, tricky. Uh, and the best people in the world that deal with this are actually at the UW. So it was like, okay, well, we are not moving. I'm curious how old, how old your oldest is at this time too. Are they in school already? They're young. So about 10. 10, okay. I mean, cause that's a, that's a big change for them too. I imagine that you consider. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, all, all, all that stuff was kind of sorted, and it was like, all right, we, we can make this work. But you can't stay in Seattle and work at Google, right? I mean, they they want you to move to to somewhere else. So they said uh, uh, that's fine, Zurich. Uh, that that's okay. Don't go to Zurich. But how about Kirkland? So Kirkland is basically on on the east side of Seattle. So Seattle, there's basically two lakes that kind of divide up the east side and the good side, aka the west side. So, uh, so the, I was like, I don't want to move to, I don't want to move there and I don't want to commute there. Um, I said, so I, I, I guess I'll take the Amazon offer then. I had also, I had no idea like sort of kind of what, 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 um, well, if I would even a, get into Google, B, like what does job market look like or anything. So I also applied AWS. Um, so I was like, okay, fine. I'll take the AWS, uh, offer then. Uh, but then they said, hey, well, hold up. They're actually opening up a Seattle office. So there will be a, a, an office in Seattle in a month or two or so. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's do that then. Uh, so off to Google I went and uh, and spent the next 12 years there. Well, so that puts us at uh, 2018. So you spent 12 years there. That's, I mean, that's a, okay. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions because because you're 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 a good person to ask these questions, right? Because when I when I see a lot of young people coming out of university and start at Google, right? Like Google's a whole nut. Google to me is Disney Disney World, right? When you're inside there, uh, 
and I and I love that they can do all those things for their employees, but it's just not reality when you leave, right? The people who leave start to realize, but you had a lot before you went in there, and then you kind of left. So, what was your just your first impressions of Google? Like even that first year must have been like, wow, this is this is amazing, or like. So, uh, yeah, so 2007 Google, Seattle in particular, right? So Google at the time in Mountain View is uh, quite big, obviously not as big as it's, it is today. But when, when, when I went to visit the campus, for example, the interview, it was just insane. Like, you know, like the dinosaur or the older buildings or the gyms or the volleyball courts and everything else. It was just like, this is... This is, you know, crazy. Like I have, I, you know, I'm not, I, yeah, I haven't seen anything like this. Uh, but then also remember that it's, it's Seattle office. So Seattle office is at this point, uh, it's basically half of a floor of a three or four story building. I want to say three stories. So it's half a floor of, uh, of a building. There's probably, oh geez, I don't know, 15, 20 people there. Yes, we worked for Google, and yes, the benefits were great, but like as far as the local physical thingies. You, you didn't have that Mountain View, New York sort of, or even Zurich experience. Exactly. No, 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 no. Nothing, nothing, nothing like this. Uh, and, uh, and that was fine. I, th that was free food. And I was like, well, this is great. Like, you know, I've never had free food in any company, uh, free lunch. This is great. So I'm I'm curious. What did you get hired? What was your first kind of role that you got hired for? Because you have this very strong math kind of engineering hardware sort of background. Google wasn't really doing hardware stuff that I remember. So Google didn't at the time, and I still, with very few exceptions, they don't typically hire people for their expertise. They typically hire people that can solve problems. This is my understanding. It would be totally wrong. Um, the reason why they have all the leveling systems and very strict standards uh, is so that you can go ahead and take folks that if you're like, say, a level five, you should know X, Y, Z, and D. Like you are, these are the kinds of things you as a... Uh, I'm, I'm only going to talk about engineering, but obviously they have the same categories for other as well. But... The idea is that if you are a level five kind of a person, then you can tackle these kinds of problems and expect it to solve them. So when I joined uh, Google, uh, oh yeah, and then they also have this thing called, uh, I don't know, I'm going to call it leveling. The idea was that you basically go ahead and get hired at a certain level. And then I think maybe for six months or a year, they might be able to come back and saying like, you know, we made a mistake. We hired you at five, but you know, you're actually a four. Or maybe it also goes both ways. Um, and uh, I don't know if they do that anymore, uh, but whatever. But so I basically joined. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. You're basically given uh, some sort of starter projects. Uh, Google is extremely good about having people come in and being able to go ahead and right off the bat, they have a whole bunch of these code labs. Uh, where you can come in and go like, hey, I want to learn how to use, say, Bigtable, right? So you basically run through the Bigtable examples and, and spin things up. And So you, you didn't join a particular pro – you didn't get hired for a particular project? You got hired nope. because nope. –
they really wanted you in the company and they were going to figure out where to put you once you went through one of these um, kind of self-studies. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 think, I, I think that was very typical at the time. Uh, I, I think most people didn't get hired uh, into a team at the time. Uh, I could be wrong, but that was my, that's my hazy recollection, so I'm going to stick with that. So you started, you decided, what did you decide to do for this, I guess, I say this time that you're doing research? Basically, I wanted to, yeah, so it was unclear, right? So, <laughs> because it is very free-for-all. Nobody's going to, at the time, at least in Seattle, would come and tell you, you need to do this. So you kind of left your own devices, which is fine for me. I can, I, I can kind of muddle through my way. And I, I, I ran into this person, David Erb, um, and he was doing some uh, VoIP stuff. So voice over IP. Uh, so Google had either had just acquired or were in the process of acquiring uh, what was at the time called Grand Central, which later on became uh, Google Voice. So the idea was, you know, one phone number for life. Uh, I actually still have that number. And, and uh, the problem was that uh, because the company was an external company, it was very ill-fitted to run on Google's infrastructure. So Google's infrastructure was very optimized for basically um, HTTP-based traffic. Right, but VoIP is nothing like it. So there was a lot of work that uh, we had to do on the infra side of the house just to make things be able to work there. So we basically. So it sounds like that was your first project. You you got you got put on the VoIP on a VoIP yeah. project. Yeah, yeah. So so this was um, uh, so it was a fairly small team. I think there was about eight or ten of us, and. Uh, there was a few different pieces and bits about it that were uh, uh, interesting. I, I was, uh, it was fantastic times, but there was a lot of, you know, niddly-bitty, low-level details that we had to work, and many of those things were stuff that um, you couldn't do at Google's Infra at the time, so we kind of had to figure out how all that works. What were you using for clients at the time? Were you assuming that you'd run, a, run some software on a smartphone? at the time? That part was sort of kind of, there was all these standard stacks, so you could basically run like whatever the H323 uh, or whatever it is that you could run. The client wasn't really an issue because we all conformed to uh, many of these, uh, the standards. Plus, we were able to go ahead and just terminate that. So Grand Central basically had a whole bunch of these phone numbers that they could then route in, they basically would switch it to to basically UDP, and and we would basically be able to go ahead and tap that into our stuff. So, uh, but we had there, there was this big barrier between like Google data centers and, and the <laughs> outside world where it's like won't go. It's like uh uh. So um, there, there was some interesting bits there. What did what did you do after VoIP? How long did you work on the VoIP stuff? I mean, you're there 12 years. Was that two years, three years after? Yeah, after no, that, yeah, that, that was actually fairly short stint because it was, we kind of did a whole bunch of stuff there and then, then uh, Google decided that they're going to uh, move that work down to Mountain View. So it's closer to Mountain View, so it's not a remote work. So I basically went down to Mountain View, 
train the team there to go and operate it. And this is like a formal handoff. So like an SRE handoff style thing, like this is how you operate, this is how you upgrade, yada, yada, all that stuff. And then I get back to Seattle and I'm like, well, now what? Like, what should we do now? And uh, at the time, again, fairly small. Uh, so a few of us had just had our projects uh, sort of kind of either transferred or folks had transferred off of those projects. So there's a few of us who were thinking about what should we do next? And we kind of started this mailing list called Plan B. That was the mailing list or, or you know email group because uh, we were all kind of figuring out like we don't have a plan A, so let's just go straight to plan B. <laughs> like what the heck are we gonna do? Um, so we we started to think that it would be in Google's best interest to get into the cloud game in earnest. At the time, Google had one offering that you could say was in the cloud, uh, which was App Engine. What what year is this? This is like two thousand ten. Then? 2009, 2010-ish. Okay, okay, okay. So App Engine was already commercially available? I don't know if it was commercially available, but I think it was. Uh, I would have to look up. That's Maybe fair. it was That's 2011. Fair. Thereabouts. And uh, so then, you know, so we are kind of chit-chatting about this. And uh, uh, one, of the, one of the folks was, again, David Erb, who was the, on the Google uh, Voice project. And, um, and then there was uh, uh, Joe Bita. There's a few other, Michael Shelton. But, um, and we kind of thought about what are the pieces that is like the minimum viable pieces, infrastructure pieces that you would need to be able to go ahead and have a viable cloud, strat uh, cloud offering, at least start, not, not comprehensive, obviously. And uh, Joe was really interested in the compute side of the house. So he and a few others started working on uh, what became uh, GCE, Google Compute Engine. And uh, I was not really interested in that, given my background that I had been doing so much low-level bit twiddling and networking and all those kinds of things already. And I was kind of like, I don't, I kind of want to do something else. Um, so I decided I wanted to go ahead and do storage, uh, because that's something that I really hadn't done in anger before. Uh, so my side of the house, we decided to start this thing called, uh, that became uh, Google Cloud Storage. Yeah, so we, we, we did that for a while. I ran that team for about five or so years, at which point it had become sort of kind of not fun anymore in the sense that there was a lot of time that I had to spend on things that, that I didn't enjoy, like, um, I don't know. Um, Non-engineering stuff, I imagine, as the team grows. Yeah, like, you know, things like capacity planning. And I'm also managing people and, uh, you know, though, though, yeah. So I was kind of like, yeah, that's not it. So then uh, um, then, then uh, Joe and Brendan, uh, Brendan Burns, uh, had been, you know, th these are all hallway conversations. So, the, so now Seattle office has grown quite a bit and, you know, interesting hallway conversations. So Joe... Joe and Brendan and, and I have been talking for a while about sort of kind of why, why GC is not really a great uh, thing for all the folks because um, it is the infrastructure, but like that's not really what we at Google develop. Like we, we do our containers and everything else and, and, and Borgs and 
So it, it had been something that we had sort of kind of been noodling on, on, on hallway conversations. So Brendan had put together this um, uh, prototype that then sort of kind of became eventually through various variations, uh, became the, the Kubernetes. So um, when, when we were chatting at one point, uh, with, with Joe and Brendan, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I basically uh, went to my team and I was like, I'm out of here. Well, I talked to my manager first. I was like, I'm out of here. going to go do something else. Uh, 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 Andrew Hurst uh, took the team over and we went uh, down hard on uh, trying to build the early versions of uh, Kubernetes. Well, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I, I, I'm, I'm curious personally what you thought was going to be an interesting piece to work on. Was it the container, lower level OS container side of things? Was it because there's a lot of layers to Kubernetes, right? Yes. It, the, the, the interesting bit to me was the fact that I think we had an opportunity to make developers' life easier. Um, so at the time, if you think about like the, the different uh, computation standards and the sort of kind of the the mental model that folks had, it was still dealing with machines in the racks, but you didn't actually have to go in there and punch in the, the ethernet cable and, and put it into a FIDE ring or whatever you were using for the networking. But the abstractions were still super low level and you were dealing with machines and you were still dealing with with, with too much stuff, which, which were things that we didn't have. So what the draw to me was, oh my goodness, we should be able to go and give this kind of an experience to everybody in the world, all the developers in the world, so that they wouldn't have to go ahead and, and when you're like, okay, I want to build something, it's like step one, you know, choose your cloud. And now you're kind of going down this path where you're like, well, now I have to understand their constructs and consents. So while you might say like, well, you know, it's a VM, it's a VM, it's a VM. It's like, well, no, not really, because the way you talk about them and the way you, the, the capabilities you have, they are all very, very, very different. So the idea, uh, the draw to me was the fact that we could offer a, a better uh, abstraction for the developers. Uh, that was the draw to me. And what piece did you initially work on? Uh, I worked a bunch on the uh, what became to be the kubelet and the kube proxy. I uh, did a bunch of tests because every day uh, uh, somebody would break something. So I wrote the end-to-end -end test there uh, pretty much everywhere. So I, actually, I have a couple of interesting questions here. Um, okay. Did you have any aspirations that this was going to be used in any form inside of Google and then how are you planning to dog food? I, I feel like if you can't dog food what you're building, it just can't be as good as it can be. So what were those thoughts? And how did you dog food this? Dog fooding was interesting in a sense that we could be able to go ahead and run some of these things within there. But it wouldn't be, to your earlier question, like would, would, uh, would Google be running Kubernetes? Uh, no, not all of it. Uh, because there's so much special stuff in many other places, um, which is sort of kind of sometimes a shortcoming at Google when, when they introduce some new technologies internally or somebody has an idea or thought they're like, the, typically the question is like, well, can search run on it? And it's like, no. It's like the scale of some of their projects is so huge that no, you cannot run it. 
And then they're like, well, then let's not do it, uh, which I think sort of kind of misses the thing that that is a, like Google scale is, is one thing, but then the Google search scale is even a different scale, right? Does that make sense? No, no, it, it, it totally makes sense. I'm, I'm impressed that the upper management decided to work on a project that they knew at the end of the day wouldn't really take over infrastructure inside. It would help the, the developer community, but there's no revenue from it. And so I, I just find the whole thing interesting. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, not so sure how much permission was sort of kind of asked for many of these things, right? So up until the point that it was open sourced, like you could just say that you're doing your 20% time if you wanted to. And it's, it's, I mean, it is, it is fantastic because Google does have an opportunity for folks to do interesting and, and uh, exciting things without saying, well, you haven't punched your time card on this project today. Like, what's up? So it, it is a very, uh, it was, and, and it still was a few years ago. Um, um, but uh, those kinds of things uh, are fine. Uh, if, if, if you basically can convince your management, um, which uh, wasn't really very difficult because I, I think every one of us had sort of kind of proven that we were adults in a sense that we wouldn't just say like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, we are working on this thing and then, you know, go screw off for like six months and not do anything. Right. So the, the oh, you know, having some free reign was not really that big of a deal um, where the the upper management uh, struggles, I guess one could say, was the uh, our ability to then open source all these bits. Um, so that took a lot of convincing. So what happens? We're, we got about ten, fifteen minutes left here. So, so what happens in two thousand eighteen? You spend a decade working on what is right now, at least, a very, very important technology. I mean, tons of companies are leveraging it for the orchestration system. It's, it's super important. You're part of that legacy, right? Uh, you spend over a decade on it. What happens in 2018? Uh, well, okay. So uh, I didn't I didn't work on the Kubernetes the whole time when I when when there. So after it got open sourced, uh, I was sort of kind of asked to go do something else by uh, by my manager at the time, and I I really kind of didn't want to do it because I was having so much fun with the Kubernetes, but, but, uh, you know, he needed a solid, as you say. So <laughs> I did this thing, I did this thing and, um, and went away for, for, for a bit to, 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 to do those things. And then, um, and I sort of kind of, then, then I was involved in a few open source projects, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, uh, but then, it, then the Kubernetes was really kind of starting to uh, uh, bother me a bit in a sense that, you know, remember the reason why I sort of kind of was excited about it was that it would be super helpful for all the developers. And, and we, in my opinion, we didn't really get that. Kubernetes was still too damn hard for the most folks to use, and it still involved too much twiddling and, and, and so forth. So... What I did is, is um, so I started this project that, uh, that is, it's called Knative that basically runs on top of, um, uh, on, on, on Kubernetes that is, is, is uh, 
more aligned with what, what, what the development experience could be on top of Kubernetes for the most folks that do not need to go ahead and twiddle with the, with the low-level settings and so forth. So, so I worked on that. Um, I've, never, I've never played with the K-native stuff. I, the Kubernetes that I teach, I still kind of just stick to like, cube control to give people a foundation. So if I were to start using Knative, is this a set of UIs? Is this just a different set of CLI tools? Is it less configuration? It, it's, it's basically way less configuration. So the, um, it, it basically boils down to, and I, I know we are short on time, so I'm going to be very short in the answer, but uh, it basically is a set of CRDs and some technology that runs on the cloud to go ahead and enable things like what is considered like serverless, meaning it handles scaling for you from, from you know, uh, zero all the way to however big your cluster is and back down to zero. So akin to something like Lambda or other function tools that allow you to go ahead and do request-based uh, sizing. Um, there was also, but it, it was a set of tools. So now I'm talking about serving. Uh, we also had a build, uh, Knative build, um, which uh, allowed somebody to go and take source code and turn that into a running container. And the last bit is the eventing, because now that you have a way to go ahead and do uh, respond to events, whether it's a user-driven or event-invoked, then that's kind of the last bit that kind of, uh, kind of, kind of uh, completes the picture. So, uh, yeah, you can use it. You can, you can install it on top of your... Kubernetes, it should basically allow you to go ahead and get rid of a bunch of your uh, configurations, uh, and it should give you some features that you don't get out of the box with Kubernetes. How long did you spend building that initially? That, that sounds like it's another three-year project. I mean, that's... And you had to yeah. recruit people inside of Google to help you with that too, right? How did all that work? I'm going to take a little bit more time than I have. I don't care. I, I'm, I'm kind of really curious that you found your passion again, you thought this was really needed to really make this usable. You have to recruit people to help too, right? Like, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, well, I just kind of showed it to a few people that, you know, uh, the very early stuff out of it. And, and one of the people was Matt Moore, uh, uh, who I, I had worked with in the past. Not like, not like this, like super close, but like this, like very close. And uh, he was super excited with my ramblings uh, on, on, on sort of kind of like where this might go. And he, he just right away just started banging with me. So we kind of, um, recruiting was actually fairly easy, if you will, uh, kind of show him. They're like, oh my goodness, this is really cool. How do, how do I help? Yeah, so I've been doing that. And I still actually am, am involved in the project. Uh, but uh, yeah, recruitment, not, not a problem. And we also wanted to make sure that it wasn't a Google project. So uh, spend a lot of time with other companies because we truly believe that this would be a good thing for the, for the world at large. So recruited a bunch of friends and family. <laughs> I don't mean friends and family, but I mean like, you know, other companies to come in and participate in this so we could all shape the, the direction where we all think it should go. So this, does, this doesn't belong to the Google open source family of, of uh, projects? Yeah, I mean, it was started at Google, but uh, that, that, that is kind of a longer conversation. But uh, the, the TLDR is that it's right now uh, being donated to CNCF. And so we are basically going through all the due diligences and everything else and making sure that it, it checks all the boxes and, 
and 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 so forth. So it it, it is going to be in the CNCF family unless something crazy happens. And uh, but yeah, there was some there was some rough times on sort of kind of who owns this uh, along the way. But uh, that's in the past now, and we are on the good path. Is this kind of the last thing you work on at Google before you leave in 2018? Yeah, that is the last thing I worked on. Uh, then I went to VMware, did a couple of years there, and left last. What was what, why VMware? I, I'm really curious. Always about that first job out at Google. Like, what was it? Uh, VMware gave me a few. So this is uh, this is pre-COVID. So I got married uh, a few years ago. Remarried to a, uh, a Finnish lady. So it was important for me to be able to, until we sort out all the green card issues and everything else, to be able to spend a good chunk of time working remotely. Okay, so that's why I said COVID, because you know now it's like, yeah, everybody works wherever they wanna work at, right? But uh, that was one of the things. Also, I had some friends there, uh, namely uh, Greg and, and, and Joe and a few others who had founded a company called Heptio after uh, Kubernetes took off. So they have gone over to VMware. VMware purchased them. And uh, so there were some uh, really uh, uh, good opportunities to go and bring the K-native technology to, to various other places. So there were some personal reasons, some, 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 some uh, um, professional reasons and some community reasons on how do we go ahead and make K-native be better, wider. So it isn't seen just as a Google project. Yeah, I, I remember the sale and I remember VMware going head, you know, really kind of all in on Kubernetes. So, I mean, that really gave you an opportunity to focus full time without any stress developing K-Native, right? Yeah, so that's that's a brilliant move. For the move. most part, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, th 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 there's always there such thing as a full time thing. There's always company things and yada, yada, yada. But yes, that was roughly it. So then you're there up until about, what, four months ago? yeah. Well, yeah, a few of us had been talking for a while also and sort of kind of on and off and sort of kind of like doing our own thing. Um, and finally, kind of all the stars aligned last summer um, and all the right players were going to be available. And we were all very convinced that the, the problem space that we, wanna, that we are tackling now was something that really needed to be solved and we had the, the right set of uh, folks to go ahead and, and at least do something usable with it. So, so remind me one more time, okay? Because this new startup you have is called ChainGuard. So remind me again, what is the problem space that you're, you're, you're looking to solve again with, with ChainGuard? In other words, kind of full circle from where we started. Sure. So, uh, okay, so if you think about sort of kind of folks are getting hacked all the time, right? Uh, as, as the industry has basically taken the dam and started plugging in all kinds of various holes in all the ways that people are attacking things. One of the, one of the ways that sophisticated attacks have moved to is into the closer to the source of where it is happening. So if you can go and compromise some piece of software at the, the root, if you will, right? If you can add a vulnerability that you know about at the root of the source code. And then that piece of software gets used because software, open source software is used by, I don't know, 70, 90% of the, like all over the place. That is the problem we are tackling, 
which is how do we go and ensure that that software supply chain is where did your software come from does it contain vulnerabilities what did it eat for breakfast who tampered with it has it been tampered with and they're going to say well that's easy you can just go ahead and do this kind of you know source you know analysis yada 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 but the problem is that there's many, many pieces in the whole software supply chain. So there's things like build machines, right? So where is the software actually being built? Because now I have the source code. Well, what if you compromise the machines where the software is getting built, right? There's, there's various classes of um, uh, these attacks uh, and attack vectors that have been uh, very uh, <laughs> successfully been used out in the wild with, with, with unimaginable losses whether it's financial or whether it's, you know, the amount of work that needs to be done to dig out or whatever else. It seems like almost every week, if not every month or, or every day, there's some, some kind of vulnerability that is hitting. And for folks to be able to go ahead and tackle that is, is just um, a huge problem space. And uh, many of the folks in the company now are, have been involved in many of those technologies over the years, so uh, uh, we, we, we believe we have a pretty good set of folks and um, to be able to tackle this. So I saw something this week on Twitter, and I wish I could remember who said it, but they were like, I don't really understand the idea of signing software. All it tells you is that it came from that build machine, but it doesn't tell you that the build machine wasn't compromised. Right. That's that's only one part of the equation because you can go, yeah, so you can go ahead and do certain kind. you can do different kinds of attestations. And if you can, the one piece to go ahead and say and sign, uh, yes, I built it. The other piece of it would be to go ahead and say, well, what was that machine running? I can actually attest what is it running and I can attest to the hardwares on, on what is running on that machine as well. So what are you... Different levels. What do you foresee as your users needing to do? Is it an agent that I'll be installing on any computer that's part of the pipeline of, of building and running software? Like, what's the UI or the UX in all of this at the end of the day? We'll, we'll talk about that next time. How's that? Okay. And I'll give you that's a demo. Fair. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think about how you deploy all of these kind of safeguards in your... Uh, in your infrastructure, but we'll definitely, we'll, we'll definitely, when you're ready, ping me and we'll, we'll have that conversation. I'd love to have that. I think it'd be That's great. That's brilliant. All right. We, we, we are really almost at the end here. This is a, an amazing story. Vila. I, this is kind of really cool how you, you, how you traveled all the way and, and, and now you're in this startup and I wish you only the very best success. Thank you. With this startup, it's not easy. I, I, my first startup, and I've, people have heard this, uh, failed after about four or five years. My second one is doing, doing really well. So there's a lot to learn along the way. But <laughs> I, 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 I wish you so much success with this. It sounds like, you know, you're. Yeah, I, I have a good feeling about. It. All right. If anybody wants to kind of reach out to you um, after listening to this, what's the kind of the best way that people can can touch base with you? Uh, well, you know, I'm going to say this, that it's Twitter, of course, and you're going to laugh because I didn't read your Twitter message for, for, for a while. Because, yeah, so I am on, on, on Twitter, uh, but uh, probably the best way is to go ahead and just, uh, I don't know, email me. You can Twitter me, but just be, be prepared that I might not get to it in a timely fashion. That's fair. We'll get all that in the show notes, too, uh, so people, people have access to it. Um, 
All right. Thank you so much for, for, for telling this story. It was awesome. I, I really appreciate your time today. Well, yeah, well, thank you. I hope, uh, hope it was not a complete waste of time. And I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and uh, ask great questions. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. All right. So this is Bill Kennedy and Vilay signing off to the Art Labs podcast. And I hope everybody comes back again real soon.